0: Hey, welcome to another episode of Bros Bibles and Beer. This episode is brought to you by Studio, where you can find amazing headphones and earbuds. If you go to their website and make a purchase, put Bros15 for a 15% discount at studio.com. Just because yeah. the word has spread through those travels.
1: Yeah, the word has spread. And then, I mean, if you want to just like get really weird here, do it. Oh. Uh, <laughs>
2: What the hell
3: I am Is the video on?
2: No It is for us You okay. look great
3: You guys do Cause yeah You don't You don't need to see me hey, I
0: am at a We don't need to hear you I'll tell you that much
3: and That's probably true as well Jeff You're correct see, The
0: background's ridiculous
2: I'm gonna tell you that it's going to be easy to know when you want to talk, because that's when you will unmute. Okay, first of all, leave the train station. Where are you? I gotta, we got to call Adam right now. Where are you, Scott? I'm at a bar. <laughs> Jesus. Professional. Way to keep it professional. All right. Well, I'm going to try to plug in Adam here. Adam English, Scott. Remember that name. Mr. Mr. English English to you. Mr. English. The saint who would be Santa Claus, the true life and trials of Nicholas of Mira.
3: Can you tell when I go on mute?
2: Yes. Thank God, yes.
0: Can I bar, though, please? It's not the bar. Dude, I don't know where it is. It could be a bar or a train station or all the above. Not good. All right, we're calling him.
3: The major thoroughfare that I'm right next to.
0: Scott, mute Mute yourself. See if he jumps on.
2: There yeah, we, go. we got something. All right. How you doing? Hello, Adam. Good, good. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yes. you're great. Awesome. Can, can you hear us?
1: Yes. Yeah, just fine.
2: So, I am Zach, and Jeff is next to me, and we have Scott, who's normally with us. He couldn't make it home in time from work, so he is at a pub somewhere. So, when you hear... Hey,
3: how's it going? There he is. Oh, cool.
2: <laughs> so, if you hear noise breaking in like that, you mean, it means that Scott wants to talk. So, we'll defer to you, Scott.
3: Hey, thank you very much. <laughs>
2: So how you doing?
1: Great, great. I wish I was at the pub with uh, Scott right now. <laughs> I know us too. It's, it's
3: a nice, it's a nice place. It's just next to a road, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they kind of are. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me uh, with you guys. Absolutely. Um,
2: yeah i I was drawn to you uh, from just listening to homebrewed Christianity. So hat tip to Trip over there. Um, and he mentioned you in passing on a recent episode in in your book about the real St. Nick. And I'm like, I I just thought, man, I got to try to reach out to this guy, see what we can do and get him on before Christmas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a ton to talk about. Um, Oh, fantastic. Yeah. The St. Nicholas has been kind of in the news this fall. In fact, I mean, I don't know if you guys have been following it at all, but uh, they've been doing a good bit of archeological Digs at the Church of St. Nicholas in Myra, Turkey, uh, which is present day Dimra. And um, they found some kind of, uh, they've been working for about 15 years, but underneath the, uh, the bottom layer of the church, uh, they've done some kind of sonograms or, or, or radars to be able to detect there's an open space or chamber uh, underneath the church and so um you know they haven't opened it up they haven't found anything but you've been seeing if you if you're watching there's a bunch of headlines that say things like uh, you know the tomb of santa claus found or something like this they're it's it's really hyped up um it's like that it's the turkish government basically trying to create <laughs> some tourism and just some interest and um so they haven't opened it up but they're hoping they're going to open it up and they're hoping they're going to find A tomb and they're hoping they're going to find bones in the tomb and but they haven't found anything yet but the publicity and the and the um the headlines have been like pretty just outrageous this fall
0: so we couldn't we wouldn't put it beyond anybody to drag some old deer or uh, uh, reindeer bones in there from years past hopefully (laughs) (laughs) no yeah that would be awful
2: for get for a publicity. yeah. Get get a picture of some reindeer bones next to him. Oh, that could work. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Can we get a little background on you? Um, I I'm new to you. I'm new to your work. I have not read the book Confession. Uh, I plan on it. Everything is kind of new. But let's let's hear about you. And I guess quickly how you brought up like your background and and uh, what led you to the Saint Nicholas stuff.
1: Sure. Uh, well, again, uh, Adam English. I'm at uh, Campbell University, which is in North Carolina, and I teach theology f- and philosophy, and really that's my background is in modern theology uh, and and philosophy, and those are mostly the courses I teach. Um, you know, I was raised in a, a kind of moderate Baptist tradition um, and so I mean, on the surface, I wouldn't have anything really naturally to do with Saint Nicholas. Um, you know, the Russians love him, uh, the Orthodox love him, the Roman Catholics love him, but you know, he's not really a Baptist saint per se, and he really doesn't have much to do with um, theology, the discipline of theology. Uh, and that's one of the uh, one of the reasons that he's sort of a maybe an unknown or at least less known. Um, character. He, he did not leave any volumes of theology or sermons or tracts. Um, and so, you know, in one sense, I mean, it's not a natural connection for me to get interested in him, but, um, you know, there's a lot of avenues there. I, I've become more and more interested, you know, as I, as I go in older and older theology and in, um, you know, especially pre-Reformation and, and, and patristic and early church theology, um and then also I had a, a couple opportunities to lead some study abroad trips to Italy and while I and I guess while I was there I just you know learned figured out that um that the actual bones of Saint Nicholas reside in Bari Italy which is on the um uh, eastern coast of Italy and more exciting than even the bones there's an archive library that's run by Dominicans, and it houses just all kinds of um, ancient documents related to St. Nicholas. And so I just really wanted to figure out, you know, what's there and what do they have? So I, I got an opportunity to go and study there, and then, you know, out of that came um, the book. Uh, so, you know, that's a, maybe a quick uh, tour Um and then since then, you know, I've just become more and more kind of immersed into Christmas and yeah. Santa Claus and the legends and all that. So, I mean, it started out as just an academic study, really. And then it just sort of ballooned into all things Christmas. Um, you know, Christmas kind of does that. It's sort of contagious in that way and sort of sucks you in.
0: So they so they really felt it to be significant to... Um create a, a space or a uh, just identifying this is where uh, St Nick died or lived and what what's the significance of St Nick in historically and this is back in f- 2 300 right okay yeah i mean
1: um you know again during his life uh, you know obviously he was a uh, a pastor, I mean, a bishop, uh, but in the th- early 300s, that term bishop, um, you know, did not mean what it means today uh, in the sense that, um, you know, he was just basically a head pastor of that area. And of course, if you look in the book of Acts, um, Myra is one of the stops that Paul makes and uh, as well as Patara, where he's born. So these are churches founded by Paul and so maybe they're important in that sense, but, um, you know, he doesn't have any special dignity or power or authority. Um, and he lives, lives a noble, you know, Christian life, doing good works. Um, but, you know, very quickly after his, at his death, people begin telling his story. And um, early on, he's the patron saint of sailors. Myra is on the coast. And so, as you can imagine, sailors picking up his story and then carrying it with them to various ports, you know, all around um, Europe, you know, that's how Nicholas really spreads very quickly. I mean, Myra is a very provincial, tiny little town. I mean, it's nowhere, you know, it's nothing. <laughs> and and uh, so he gets a lot of help through these sailors and carrying his story very quickly uh, and and then very quickly his own tomb and church become major pilgrimage stops on the way to Jerusalem.
0: Just because the word has spread through those travels?
1: Yeah, the word has spread. And then, I mean, if you want to just like get really weird here. Do it. uh, (laughs) In addition, (laughs) um, his his tomb had uh, some special qualities. Uh, It very quickly, I mean, within like 100 years after his death, uh, people began to notice that his tomb was leaking, um, and so instead for us that would be gross. Clean it up, seal it up. For the people of that time, awesome, amazing. Let's bottle it up. And so um, <laughs> it's what's called the the myrrh or manna or even oil of Saint Nicholas. And so people would come from all over to to collect that myrrh or that manna of saint nicholas and it's kind of like a holy water right uh, basically and it's just water all it is is basically water um but the the tomb to this day actually interesting enough to this day the tomb still leaks water oh. and they still collect it once a year on may 9th in Bari, italy a, a priest you know you know you know just basically crawls in with his butt hanging out and you know yeah. is up to his elbows in it and and, uh, and collects um, a vial or two of you know of the holy water
2: is that like uh, a spring is it coming from a spring or something
1: you know that's part of the part of the mystery of it oh, right uh, it could yeah it you know i, I guess the best guess would n- not a spring but probably just the condensation on the uh, on the concrete you know, slabs that's somehow collecting and then uh pooling and then and then able to to collect it so um yeah it's it's like a really big deal uh, and there were Nick, nicholas was not the only saint to do that to uh he was what is called a mirablite. they even had their own special terminology for it so a couple other saints like saint catherine was a mirablite, uh and and so for those kinds of reasons, then um, he was already a popular saint and tomb to visit. But then if you could also get this added benefit of holy water uh, from the tomb, you know, even better. And and so, yeah, it was just a really popular site um, for people to visit. And so, again, very quickly, all across Europe, um, his fame has spread. And and so it is sort of a weird you know starting point like wow how does how did somebody get from there to to basically you know canvassing uh you know all of europe and then coming to america even Go since ahead. we're on skype i don't know are you, is this podcast like recorded like by video or well, it's just audio
2: i'm just taking the
1: audio yeah. okay so yeah so i've got a vial of it i mean i could show it to you but if you if you're oh, oh no you, no I will t- show it to that us that would be great i will
2: take a picture
1: I got this in, uh, in Bari itself. So I don't know if you can see it there. It's, so
2: it is just water.
1: Have you tasted it? No, I have not <laughs> tasted it. Uh, and I don't know what it would do to your, uh, brew. If you're, if you're home brewing, you know, you <laughs> added some of this to it. It, uh, you know, but the um, do you have any? Yeah, do you have any? I, I do homebrew. The, do you have any more I mean the, of that?
2: If I could somehow <laughs> sprinkle a little bit of that into the fermenter, that would be awesome.
1: Absolutely, that would be the real Christmas brew. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely Christmas brew. Yeah. The um, like the Western Christians, like Roman Catholics and Westerners, like it, you know, just mixed with water. But the Eastern Christians and the Russians like it mixed with oil. So you can get it both ways um when you when you go there to bari. So they, they still you know, collect it and um you know sell it for a very very I mean they do sell it, but it's a very modest amount. I mean it's it's about as cheap as anything you could buy. Interesting. <laughs>
2: do they ship it?
1: I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I've never tried to, you know, purchase any online.
0: <laughs> I might be doing some Googling Saint later. Nick's magic water on Amazon. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's right. <laughs> sorry holy water
2: yes i'm not not sure magic (laughs) yeah so then what how does he become i mean i guess there's a lot of things here to unpack but for you the, the legend of santa claus how how does it go from saint nick to what we base our christmas traditions
1: on Right so uh the connection with Christmas is that Saint Nicholas died on December the 6th and so you know to me ways he's his his feast and his celebration and his remembrance all happen right at the beginning of the Christmas season really so he was kind of from the beginning a, a Christmas time saint um, and and you know to this day then um, the Dutch and the Netherlands, and in many other places, uh, give Christmas gifts on December fifth or sixth. Uh, you know, Saint Nicholas Day. Mm. Uh, you may have heard the idea of you know setting out your shoes in front of your door, and um, then you'll get like some oranges and chocolates and candies and things like that. And then, um, so you know, early on, people were uncertain about you know what's the best day to give gifts on. Um, really, it was not until very recently it was not December the twenty fifth. It was either Saint Nicholas Day um, December 6th or actually January the 1st, um, New Year's day was a a huge gift giving day and can think about like the Canadians still have like boxing day, Mm -hmm. um, which is again, like another old timey gift giving, um, idea. And and so it's not until very modern times, like 19th century that, um, late 19th century that we really started to shift to December 25th as, okay, let's consolidate all our gift giving to this one mega day. And then of course, uh, St. Nicholas sort of also migrates from December 6th to December 24th and 25th in his own gift giving. Um, but again, those are sort of late changes. But I mean, the, the ultimate answer is that uh, it really is death day is what sort of places him in the, um, in the sphere of Christmas. Um, and then maybe as you're familiar, one of the very earliest stories about Nicholas involves him giving gifts. Um, this very famous story of the three dowries uh, in which um, Nicholas uh, hears about a, a man in town in Patara who has lost everything. And uh, Nicholas is still a young man. He's not yet a priest or a bishop, uh, but he has recently inherited his parents' estate. Uh, and is trying to figure out what to do with this. And so he decides he wants to follow the commands of Jesus and give it away or give at least a a major portion of it away. And so uh, he, um, as the story goes, he he doesn't want to be known for it or recognized for it. So at night, in the darkness and cloak of of night, he, he passes by the man's window and tosses a bag of gold through the window And then sees what the man does with it. Uh, He uses the money as dowry for one of his daughters to marry out of her condition. And so, you know, as the story goes, he returns two additional times uh, with two additional, you know, bags of gold as dowry for the other two daughters. Um, And so that story definitely connects him, of course, with gift giving and then later editions of it uh nicholas comes to the window but it's locked and so he has to drop the bag of gold down the chimney where it lands in a stocking that's hanging there to dry Um, so you know you can see a lot of you know santa claus connections that way right
2: that's fascinating (laughs)
0: that is fascinating (laughs) yeah how we turn those little tidbits of history into a woven story that somehow makes sense in our minds yeah, absolutely I mean and so there does seem to
1: be um, you know at least um, a a degree of historicity or historical certainty about this particular story or at least the the nugget of it the essence of it um, but then yeah I mean quickly it blossoms into um, you know just this wonderful tradition of parents um, doing this for their children and You know, Santa Claus living at the North Pole and coming down your chimney with all kinds of gifts and his own bag of goodies and yeah, so it's uh that's that's culture for you, right?
2: And then Western capitalism jumps on board (laughs) and goes runs amok. And here we go. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's tied up with the story of uh Coca Cola, you know, who really stabilizes (laughs) the and standardizes the image of Saint Nicholas. Yeah. Or Santa Claus.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I assume it, did, did they really?
1: How long? How long back did that does that go? Yeah. Um, so in the 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 connection with Coca-Cola is uh, in the early 1930s. Um, Coca-Cola hired Haddon Sundblom to begin producing holiday advertisements featuring Santa Claus, and there was just these gorgeous, you know, realistic uh, uh, Norman Rockwell-like um, home and hearth pictures. And he did that for the next 30 years. And so, you know, really didn't just, uh, yeah, absolutely, you know, fixed in our own cultural minds, Santa Claus, what he should look like. So, again, if you just close your minds and imagine Santa Claus, you know, it's the Coca-Cola Santa Claus is yeah. who you've got uh, more than anything. So, yeah, I mean, capitalism is definitely tied in with it uh, to a, just a, you know, a sickening degree. But, um, you know, that's, that's just part of the story for sure. Um, in nice. fact, the very first um, kind of images of of Santa Claus uh, in the in the 1800s were used were advertisements. They were just store advertisements and they were the first ones to depict Santa Claus as such. So, yeah, he's been commercial from day one pretty much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, I was just thinking of the North Pole, like the geography of it, like let's. Let's stick them in the North Pole so nobody can actually prove anything because who's going to the North Pole?
2: Yeah, do you know Uh, the origins of that?
0: Yeah, I do. Um,
1: That came around the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century. Um, There were explorations going on in Antarctica and at the North Pole. And so, um, you know, children were riding to St. Nicholas or Santa Claus by this time. I mean, so lots of cities like New York, um, the New York Post office was receiving, you know, literally thousands of letters from kids and they would just go to the dead letter office because, you know, what are you going to do with them? And so different societies would start to um, collect them and then answer them. And uh, in fact, the entire town of Santa Claus, Indiana um, mm-hmm. is kind of built upon, you know, collecting children's letters uh, and so the children, of course, you don't know where to address it. You just address it, Santa Claus. And so we'd put things like Iceland or Greenland or Antarctica or Fairyland. And, um, you know, eventually the North Pole just started to stick as yeah, just sort of a, a magical place. I mean, who's been to the North Pole and, you know, what what could possibly be there? And again, people were just starting to come back with actual pictures and descriptions of the North Pole. And I mean, it is just a it's just a, a far I mean, it's just a completely foreign unimaginable uninhabitable place who could be there you know santa claus i guess
0: right (laughs) and 400 elves with you know great carpenters
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely and a buddy the elf of course and and some other (laughs) friends
2: I, i guess we're i'm bouncing around a little bit but the idea of christmas in december and tied to jesus birthday like how how does that happen
1: yeah, um, you, you'll hear a number of different theories, um, but the, the most ancient one. So, what one theory you'll hear is that, well, I, you know, I heard that uh, the, the, the Christian celebration of Christmas um, on December twenty fifth was just a, a replacement or a competitor to a pagan holiday that happened on December twenty fifth. And, you know, that's kind of one theory. But even before that, um, there, were, there were actually biblical reasons to place it on December 25th. Very, very slight and slim biblical reasons. But um, the tradition suggests it, it starts with, okay, so we can go through this just real quickly here. Yeah, but see. if you start with um, uh, Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John. And if you remember from the Bible, uh, Zechariah receives this divine angelic announcement of Elizabeth's pregnancy when he's in the Holy of Holy on the most holy day in the Jewish calendar, which is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which happens on September the 25th. And so that's her date of pregnancy. And then so you say, Uh, you read later that Mary receives her own announcement of her pregnancy from Gabriel and then immediately goes and visits Elizabeth. And we're told Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. And so if you go from September the 25th to six months later, you come to March the 25th. So in the Roman Catholic calendar and the traditional calendar, uh, Mary conceives on March the 25th. And so then, if you go from March 25th, nine months, you end up at December the 25th. Nailed so that due date. The, so yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty exact <laughs> due date. Yeah, <laughs> exactly the nine month uh, window. Uh, so you know, again, obviously that's that's tradition, um, but it, it's tradition that dates really far back. Uh, and again, so you'll find even before the 300s, Christians celebrating on December the 25th, Um, but not everywhere. Some, you know, it it bounced around, um, and it's hard to know from the documents because um, they didn't call it, they didn't distinguish between, like, Jesus's birth and Jesus's conception and just the incarnation. So you'll see, like, in church calendars from that era, it's just called the celebration of the incarnation. It's like, well, what does that mean? Is that her conception is that the birth is that just something else so sometimes it it is they'll just say incarnation is celebrated on march 25th or december the 25th or january the 6th you know epiphany and so you know it's it's a little bit hard to say but ultimately there's that biblical reason and then um you know in addition to that it it was it's mid-year it's Um, you know, the winter solstice it's um, there are some other kind of Roman holidays that fall on that. Uh, And so, you know, it's just a a really kind of good time to then have a a Christian celebration of, of the incarnation. So it kind of was a a meeting of a number of different, um, you know, fortuitous uh, events.
2: Yeah. That's kind of what I always, uh, when I learned a little bit about the tradition, it it was, Almost that the Christians were co-opting some of the pagan celebrations. Is yeah nothing to
1: that. Well, again, that's where um, that's you know kind of one alternative theory and uh, but again b- even before that they were already celebrating it on the 25th yeah before they ever gave any sort of polemical reasoning to it. So then later it's funny because then like later Christians would sort of um, I don't know backload, their reasoning and say, you know, we did this in order to contest and replace the pagan holidays. But in point of fact, they were already celebrating it for these other biblical reasons, um, you know, prior to that. But then it also became really convenient to say, yes, you know, the Christ is superior to, um, you know, Mithras and, and the other deities, um, the sun gods who were born on this day and so on and so forth. Um,
2: That's interesting because he, Occasionally, I'll run into or hear some people with an atheist bent almost try to use the pagan aspect against Christians. Like, uh, but it turns out that if you go, you can go back even further than that. Yeah, that's interesting.
3: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think that movie's kind of kind of hits on that as well to as a dis, to disprove the birth narrative.
1: All right. Did you ever see uh, yeah, those zeitgeist? Heard... No, no, I didn't. Um, but I've heard that idea, right, that, um, you know, Christians just, you know, invented all of this as a, you know, com- as a competitor to these pagan alternatives. Um, you know, but again, it, I can say the evidence is that we were already celebrating it, um, you know, prior to any kind of, I don't know, co- competition with the other pagan festivals and, And then what's funny is like the earliest Christians, I mean, they just celebrated it side by, kind of like we do with Christmas today, just sort of side by side with everything else. So there's really some interesting early Christian calendars that have kind of pagan holidays and Christian ones sort of side by side. Uh, And then again, it wasn't until, you know, later generations that really started to draw some hard distinctions between what is pagan and what is Christian And you have to expel the pagan and keep the Christian. But the earliest Christians were like kind of like we are more like today in terms of our um, our pluralism uh, with regards to Christmas that, yeah, okay, it's Santa Claus and it's the birth of Jesus. And, you know, these can all hold hands and work side by side, Um, you know, which is, you know, I think commendable, commendable, I mean, because that's. This is life. You know, life is not neatly divided into your religious self and your secular self or, um, you know, these nice little categories. Instead, what you find are, um, you know, you look at people's yards and there's um, this great nativity scene right next to an inflatable snowman. Right. You know, that's that's life. right? Yeah, That's kind of where we live. And, um, you know, God made us material creatures uh, who like material comforts and and family traditions and things like that, and I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that.
2: That's good. So when was Jesus born?
1: Like, yeah. Um, well, you know, you're talking about the the year. Then,
2: well, not well. I guess yeah, the year, but more the time of the year, because um, I've heard different theories on that, and I'm sure you've got a wealth of knowledge when it comes to that as well. <laughs> well,
1: if it. You know, if it is December, December 25th or so, um, you know, in Jerusalem and in 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 that area, uh, December is more of the rainy season. Uh, you know, it would not have been excessively cold. Um, you know, it never gets terribly cold in those parts anyways. But, um, you know, it would, it would be the rainy season. And so, you know, again, it, it's sort of. Coordinates, or at least um, fits well with the idea that shepherds were uh, watching their flocks by night. Well, why would shepherds be out at night with their flocks? Um, well, if there were there was plenty to graze on, and if they're trying to fatten those uh, sheep up and let them graze uh, as much as they wanted to, you know, and, and let them be out at night doing that, um, you know, that would you know that would certainly fit nicely. Um, as opposed to other times of the year where it's very dry and you would be no reason to be out at night with the sheep um, with them, so yeah that could be you know that could be one um i mean there's no real clue in the Bible as to what season it was yeah. uh, at the birth other than you and the shepherds were out at night with their sheep and again that would fit well with uh, a rainy season
2: yeah it's it's funny I've only heard well i've I've heard also that during that time of year it would be colder and so they wouldn't necessarily be out with their sheep they would be out when it was warmer and i i don't know one from the other like i i have no standing in this i would mm-hmm. definitely defer to you but it's interesting that the extra like from the rainy season there would actually be stuff to graze on and, and chew on that's that's definitely interesting so you're saying there's a good possibility that we're fairly accurate with our celebration in December.
1: Uh, you know as accurate as any I, yeah. you know again I, g- you know given the uh just the caveat that n- we don't know for sure and again there's no nothing specifically tying it to um that that time uh other than again these clues about Elizabeth's pregnancy and Mary's pregnancy and you know 9 m- months or more or less after those events right. uh, would seem to place it more or less in this in this you know season of the year um so yeah you know we're fairly you know, we could say with a fair degree of confidence that it was, you know, December-ish.
0: Nice. I'm actually amazed that I really never connected Santa Claus with St. Nick. And even the songs and the stories that are told, Old St. Nick, I, I I don't know when it was that I realized uh, Santa Claus, St. Nick. Oh, wait a second. Did that come from from the origins of St Nick and and it's like well wait a second Christmas is birth of Christ and what is going on here and <laughs> I, and I can see where there's probably a whole lot of people especially in America that don't even realize that that St Nick is real that was a historical figure they just think Santa Claus and then anything about Santa Claus they just, you know, let their minds run wild. But the actual connection to St. Nick, I think, is not something that would be um, on the on topic in a conversation with, with people talking about Santa Claus and, and why uh, Santa Claus is when December 25th comes around.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, in, in my own home, you know, growing up, which I had loving parents, and you know, they were they were great, but um, Santa Claus was seen as the enemy of Christ, or at least a distraction yeah. to the reason for the season. And so, you maybe even see things like you know, rearrange the letters, and Santa spells Satan. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and so Santa was seen as, at best, just. A, um, you know, the manifestation of consumer greed. And, and then at worst is maybe even, um, you know, something satanic or something that was meanting, meant to distract us from the real meaning of Christmas, um, which, which is Christ. And so you know, it really wasn't until I became an adult, kind of like you're saying, you know, I really never connected these things until I became an adult and started looking at it and realizing, wait a minute, um, you know, this is connected to St. Nicholas, who was not only real, but one of the heroes of the Christian faith. And, oh, my gosh, you know, we, we've, we've neglected or missed out on, uh, you know, one of our own major heroes who can really shed so much light on how to live the Christian life. And, you know, we haven't even thought about him. And so, uh, you know, for me, that was sort of a major turning point because the realization we don't have to say, no to Santa, we can say yes to St. Nicholas, who is, you know, I think far more interesting anyways than Santa Claus, you know, partly because he was real and, and, uh, you know, and and lived an extraordinary life. And so, you know, why not focus on that instead of simply focusing on uh, trying to get rid of Santa Claus, you know, just kind of redirect our attention there.
0: Right. And the idea of generosity, I mean, Santa Claus is... I mean, the thought is that it comes in and gives, um, presence and, you know, that really maybe is, uh, just a representation of what St. Nicholas, um, was in reality, um, when he lived in giving, um, to those in need, uh, <laughs> maybe some, in some weird way, it, it all worked out the way it was supposed to, however, it's just gotten a little bit twisted, uh, exponentially in the end.
2: <laughs> A little bit twisted exponentially. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It's like hedging your bed, but then going overboard as well. Right. Um, I, you know, I think you're right. I don't have anything against um, the tr- family traditions of giving gifts at Christmas. Uh, but again, as Christians, we have an opportunity uh, on St. Nicholas Day or around there, to uh, do different kind of gift-giving. So you know, I'm encouraging people to really take to heart St. Nicholas Day, December 6th. You know, it's a day in which we could do some kind of different act of giving or different act of service. Uh, You know, the gifts of St. Nicholas were given uh, anonymously. Uh, They were given to people in need and people that um, Nicholas didn't owe anything to I mean that's what's so amazing about this story right is that uh, these are people that he didn't have a family relationship with he didn't owe them anything you know he just saw the need and you know went to work and sure we, we could do that right we could uh, you could do that in the simplest ways you know kids could make a batch of cookies for you know a neighbor um, you could leave a bag of groceries uh, on somebody's front porch I mean. Uh, we can do all kinds of St. Nicholas type acts or gifts, you know, and then also have our Christmas celebrations in which we give and receive gifts to loved ones. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I do think there's a nice opportunity to, you know, get, expand the Christmas spirit, if you will. Do you, so do, do you have kids? We have one daughter. She's a sophomore <laughs> in high school now, so uh, we've kind of gone through the, uh, the whole Santa Claus business.
0: So
2: she knows that...
0: The bell doesn't ring anymore for her? Yeah, she
1: doesn't
2: hear the Christmas <laughs> bell.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, and we struggled with that early on.
0: Um, oh, good. I want to hear this.
1: Yeah, we, we really did. Uh, you know, I, I absolutely respect... I'll start by saying I, I definitely respect uh, parents in their parenting and whatever decision they want to come to because it is part of family tradition. Uh, but... Uh, for us, we decided to, to explain it sort of early on that, uh, you know, there was this real person, Nicholas, he was a pastor. He lived a long time ago and and gave gifts. And so in memory of that and in, in sort of recognition of that and celebration of that, parents put out secret gifts for their children at Christmas time. Uh, and so, you know, we told her from early on that, you know, that there was a real Saint Nicholas, but uh that you know, these gifts were from mommy and daddy and and you know there's not a Santa Claus and how early? Um, um I guess as early as she was able to maybe engage the concept or uh, think through it. So yeah, pretty pretty early on. I mean we never really went through a phase where we um intentionally deceived her. Yeah. Uh, and you know, which obviously we tried to say, look, don't you know, you need to respect that other families you know, to do this a little differently. you got to um, keep a secret. got to keep it a little bit secret. And, you know, I, in some sense, yeah, that sort of, um, you know, deflates the magic of it. But I guess we felt like, um, you know, how are we going to, you know, say, look, uh, Christmas is about Santa Claus and it's about Jesus. And then later say, oh, but the Santa Claus thing was not real. But the Jesus <laughs> thing is still real. Right. And so – it just felt like, yeah, you know what? Let's just, you know, tell her the truth right up front. Um, at the end of the day, she still gets presents, so you know, I think I think uh, you know that that uh, any probably loss of innocence she had was made up for by, you know, actually receiving presents, which is really what Christmas is all about, anyway. So you know,
2: <laughs> yeah, we I have a eight and ten year old daughters, and okay. my wife her personal experience was i don't remember the age but when she found out santa claus was not w- who she had learned he was it was devastating it was devastating yeah. for her and for good reason so she was super wary about like plan like doing that end of it we've we kind of gave in over the years um and but now my 10-year-old it was it was more like They would ask questions and I I wouldn't intentionally hide anything from them. Uh, So the 10 year old likes being in on it. The eight year old still sort of believes she she's asking questions like, uh, you know, is Santa Claus really real? And and I say, do you really want to know? Which pretty (laughs) much implies like not like not how you know, (laughs) but she she kind of avoids it. 'Cause I think she she likes the idea of it and then the older one plays along and helps, but I've I've told them a little bit about the real Saint Nick. Um after this I'm gonna tell them a lot more. It's almost like the, the history of it that's kind of been lost or faded a little bit is as magic as the fake stuff to me. Like the real stuff is fascinating. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is ancient you know these are ancient stories so they they should have some kind of r- ring of you know magic to them they come from a, right. you know a long lost time ago and uh, so yeah i think they're they're cool stories you know even just being historical there there's kind of they have a biblical ring to them you know they're they're that that far back um yeah yeah the other you know other thing to really i think enrich our appreciation of Christmas and, and just the holiday season and, and St. Nicholas is that, you know, his stories, yes, there's the story I was telling you about this act of generosity. Um, but then so many of the other stories about St. Nicholas involve justice. Uh, you know, the, one of the earliest stories about him uh, relates how he intervenes and halts an execution of some citizens who have been falsely accused and he not only halts the executioner, but then, you know, marches off to the judge's palace, Eustathius by name and, you know, reads him the riot act uh, and, you know, accuses him of accepting bribes for uh, these false charges and, uh, you know, goes through all of this. Um, and so you know, there's a couple of stories like that, in which you see this other side to St. Nicholas, not only is he um, is he generous, uh, but also he has this strong sense of public duty, of, um, of fairness and justice, and defending the innocent. And, you know, I mean, that's something that could really be added to our stories about Santa Claus, who is really only good at one thing, you know, just eating quick cook- or two things, eating cookies and giving gifts. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, the real guy, and again, is much more interesting. I mean, he's, he's out there kind of on the front lines, um, you know, working for his city. Um, and so there's another story in which uh, Nicholas um, barters with a, um, a grain ship that has docked for a little bit. It's just passing through on its way to Constantinople, but the region is in a period of famine, and so he barters with them for a grain from the ship to be unloaded and you know, to save the city. Uh, and so it's just these other acts that, again, show this depth of character. know, um, again, I think it's something we need to sort of take with us into Christmas, that it, yes, a, a spirit of generosity is important, but it ought to be matched by a concern for justice and concern for the the, the larger social welfare, uh, you know, of the people around you and, uh, you know, and all those kinds of great questions. So.
0: Well, I can, I think I can speak for all of us. We know we're, uh, you know, he wants to make sure you, are you naughty or nice? Some justice there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, even in that, I mean, it's a good point to bring up actually because even in that you can see just sort of the faint trace of this early Nicholas, these early stories uh, that he's someone concerned about your naughty or niceness, um, about how you have behaved. And now, like in, and for us Americans, it's just been reduced to that very vague sense. Still in Germany and parts of Europe, uh, St. Nicholas makes a visit to the house and sits down with the children and asks them, you know, pointed questions about their behavior. Uh, and so really is seen more of a, as an authority figure or a, a stickler me, it's for It's become
2: better. a means of control. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah! A absolutely, tool. absolutely.
2: Is there
0: uh, is there um, any known origins of Claus? The actual that name, like Santa Claus,
1: right? Um, it's really from the 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 Dutch, the German, and the Dutch. Okay. Uh, so even today, you know, uh, the Dutch name is Sinterklaas.
0: Oh, yes.
1: And you know, in America, especially in the eighteen hundreds, as they are trying to uh, On the one hand, import old world traditions, Santa Claus, but then also Americanize them, which is to domesticate them and also make them commercial friendly. You know, you've got to sort of lose the Santa Claus and try to Americanize it so it ends up as Santa Claus. Um, But yes, it's just a shortened form, basically, of Nicholas.
3: Uh, so, so how did did he ever get the saint
1: moniker from the Catholic Church
3: or anything like that? Uh, no. Uh,
1: prior to, I think it's maybe the mid twelve hundreds, there was no official, formal way of recognizing a saint, and so uh, all those saints prior to that time were um, declared saints sort of by popular acclamation. You know, if people enough people thought you were a saint, then you just were a saint, you became a saint. Um, and then eventually in the uh, 1200s and then beyond, the, the process became more formalized. So you know, today, um, if you wanna become a saint, you know, <laughs> there's a really long process uh, of, of you know, really vetting out a person's character and, and, and those kinds of things before that declaration is ever made uh, officially.
0: So it's kind of like it was if someone's a hero, you know. If people believe the public um, arena says that person is a hero, it's kind of like that back then, uh, in terms of being a saint.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, Yeah, yeah. Just um, I don't know that they, you know. Again, I don't know that they really attached what we attach to it today to that to that term saint. Um,
0: It's a little relative. Depending on the time period,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, but that term "saint." I mean, what's interesting about it is that it appears uh, over ninety times in the New Testament. You know, the idea of of saints is v- a very biblical notion. Uh, it's one of those ones that, again, maybe in the Protestant tradition at least, we've shied away from. Um, you know, we just don't use that language of sainthood very often. And again we don't have in the protestant tradition we don't have any kind of process for naming somebody a saint uh you know we think we've just come through um the 500th anniversary of the reformation right. and you know we probably should call martin luther you know saint martin or saint luther or whatever but you know it's just not the way protestants approach uh, their heroes right um and you know so we just we're, we're very unfamiliar with that but again if you go back and look <laughs> the language of sainthood is all over the bible just one of those things that we just sort of overlook and, and uh,
3: Yeah. Well all, all Christians are I, th- I think the, the idea is that all Christians are saints, that we receive the Holy Spirit and for holy, think, saint being I think the word for holy I when I was taken that all all Christians are essentially saints in that in that sense. The biblical sense.
1: Yeah, I mean that's sort of the and that is sort of the the Protestant uh, reading of the scripture which just would be to say, um, absolutely. When Paul addresses the church at Ephesus, he calls them the saints at Ephesus, or, uh, you know, so he, he's addressing the saints, which are just all, all believers. Um, that's absolutely true. Uh, you know, uh, but we also get this, you know, we, we realize that. And then we also realize that there are, there are models and exemplars and people who really live up to those qualities better than others. So, Um, yeah, I mean, on one hand, yes, yeah, we're all, we're all saints, but on the other hand, we realize, yeah, there's people that have, that have done it better than we have, that we could learn from. And, um, and so, you know, we, we do sort of look up to people and, and you get that even in scripture that, um, yeah, on the one hand, everyone is saints, but then on the other hand, some people have, you know, achieved something, you know, bigger uh, they they really blaze the trail, and so um, you know. For instance, you look in in Acts um, at um, you know people touching the the handkerchief of Paul and being healed. Uh, well, you know, that kind of goes back to that that manna or myrrh or, or oil of Saint Nicholas I was talking about. Uh, you know this notion that uh, you know some people because of their proximity to God and their proximity to holiness. Um, you know that that they, you know that they are closer uh, to the Lord, and so you know they they should be given something of a higher esteem, and uh, you know. So I don't know how you work all that out totally, but uh, there is some depth I think to our.
3: Uh yeah, we've, we've talked on the one of our one of our previous episodes, obviously, um, about uh, soul sucking and people going to graves of a great more recent leaders, uh, Christian leaders and, and sitting on their graves and trying to just, uh, take in their, their, uh, the spirit that is still emanating from their, from their, uh, the corpse in the grave. Uh,
4: yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, so
2: Adam, do, do you, I'm going to guess you didn't have soul sucking on your mind when you came on, on this podcast? no,
1: no. <laughs> that's funny that you would say, I haven't heard of, I have not heard of that, but that's actually a very, a very ancient um, thing against some of the earliest um, Christians when they visited the tombs of the saints, you know, that's kind of what they were hoping for is to somehow benefit from the power or the proximity of that saint, you know, getting something, you know, sucking out something from them. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, they would... um, you know, they'd want to, they'd want to be there and, you know, maybe take a, a rock or a pebble away or, you know, chip away at uh, whatever monument was there and, you know, take something home from them. And uh, so, yeah, very similar to the idea of sitting on a, on the grave and trying to suck out some of the energy from it. Uh, you know, absolutely.
2: What's the official Adam English position
1: on soul sucking now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it just it's a distraction, right? From the, the real, uh, the real business. I think we ought to be about. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't say I would recommend it. Yeah. Really. Um,
2: well, and I also, before we go on, I want to commend Scott for finding a pub on the North Pole with a halfway decent Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> I mean, it sounds terrible for around here, but for the North Pole, it's pretty good, Scott. <laughs>
3: I'll get those elves on it, setting up uh, some Wi-Fi boosters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I I know you have a lot more stories about the human St. Nicholas. What are some things that stand out that no one's heard of aside from the gift-giving part?
1: Oh, wow. Um, well, you know, I mean... You know, you guys might be interested in um, in in talking about you know, or, or the question of uh, did Saint Nicholas punch a heretic? Uh, I don't that know. That was if one I was you know, hoping for. Yes. Yeah, I was hoping you'd maybe <laughs> come around to that because um, that's one of the cool. That's one thing I, I didn't. I had never heard that before when I started looking at Saint Nicholas, and I guess maybe I started looking at him uh, before the invention of memes because I feel like every Christmas now people send me like a dozen different memes showing, uh, you know, especially one that's like, uh, you know, showing like a Byzantine, um, portrait of St. Nicholas. And it says something like, I came to hand out presents and punch heretics. And I just ran out of presents. (laughs) Uh, So I get this question all the time. I heard that St. Nicholas punched a heretic. Um, and what, what's interesting is that, uh, the, the skull of Nicholas does show a pretty severe break in his nose at some point in his life. So you know maybe could you speculate and say he you know, he was a fighter, He's and, a fighter uh, He got into it with somebody. and uh, I mean unf- and of course, uh, you know as I show in, in the book, um, he did, in fact, attend the Council of Nicaea, this place in question, uh, this very famous and important ecumenical council. In the year three twenty five, the Nicene
2: Creed, Jeff. Just, just so you know, thank you.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, this is the. I mean, maybe the biggest watershed um, event, really beyond, uh, you know, the the New Testament um, is this Nicene uh, Council. He was in attendance, but no, he did not punch anybody. Um, The earliest legend is from the 1400s and uh, it's from Venice and it's, it tells a story about uh, N- Nicholas at the council and hearing um the, the heresy coming out of a certain area and it just says a certain Arian. Nicholas could no longer take it. And he, he slaps the man. And so it, it didn't punch him, but he sort of just slapped him, you know, just kind of bring him to his, his senses. And then as that story gets told later, um, it goes from being a certain Arian to Arius himself, uh, which, you know, Arius is sort of the arch heretic, you know, next to Judas Iscariot. Um, Arius is the big uh, enemy of the faith who was questioning the divinity of Christ in some ways and the Trinity. And um, so all that's to say, then, you you see frescoes and images of Nicholas in churches uh, from the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s of Nicholas um, slapping a man. And, you know, again, it's a very un-Christmassy sort of picture, right? A very yeah. un-Santa Claus-like thing to do. Um, but in, it's, in the story, I mean, just to round out that story, um, you know, Nicholas sort of loses his temper and slaps this man. And... Uh, you know, that, of course, he's, he's done something awful here because he's hit someone. He's acted violently in the presence of the emperor and, and of course, all these dignitaries there. And so uh, he's deprived of his um, ecclesial vestments, his uh, miter hat and his, um, his robes. And he's put in prison and the guards burn off his beard. Um, and so, again, you'll see pictures of him having his beard burnt off. Um, But then that night, uh, Mother Mary and Jesus both show up to his tomb and and sort of um, reconfirm his zeal for the Lord and and his beard grows back and he gets his his clothing back and, um, you know, sort of in the morning is found to have been fully restored and and vindicated in that way. Um, Yeah, there's another story about him at the Council of Nicaea uh, proving the Trinity And, um, the proof is that, um, he, he holds up a brick and he says, you know, the Trinity is, is like this brick. It's, it's composed of the, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the clay powder the um, you know, the dirt that goes into it, but also the water that's used to mix and then the fire that's used to heat the brick. And, you know, as he's explaining this analogy, uh, the brick bursts into flame, and water comes dripping out. And it's all that's left in his hand is a pile of dust. Um, these are just later legends told about him, but
0: yeah, you know, they're
1: kind of cool. Yeah, uh, and, and I don't have any idea how the the legend of the him punching Arius really kind of entered into uh, pop culture or the culture of memes. I don't. I mean, it's just an old. It's just a weird medieval legend, and. And then it shows up on Instagram and Facebook. I'm like, how did it get here?
2: That is so. Uh, that's that's fascinating. Uh, I love the
0: idea of the beard being burnt off because there's so many, you know, representations out there. And every once in a while, they get their beard pulled, and uh, you know, someone finds out that hey, that's not real. Well, it was burned off. Don't you know you the go. history of my life? There you go. No, I
2: had
1: never thought about that. That's a great idea.
2: Every fake Santa needs to put that in their tool chest in case a kid pulls on their beard.
1: Yeah, it was real. I just I had it burned off for, you know, for defending the truth, right? Defending orthodoxy. So.
0: And if you uh, don't like it, then I'll uh, actually slap you as well.
1: That's right. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. you're you're looking at me, you're looking at me.
2: (laughs) In some ways, a slap is more demeaning than an actual punch. I don't know why, but it feels that way.
1: way. Yeah, and so that, I mean, the word there kind of in the Latin is, uh, it is more of a slap than a punch. Uh, You know, again, he's just sort of trying to bring him to his senses than, um, Hmm. you know, uh, punching him. You know, but again, in in pop, sort of the pop re- retellings of it, it, it becomes morphs into a punch. Um,
2: yeah. So how how are you doing on time? Because we
1: have all the time in the world,
2: <laughs> but we want to be respectful to you. You're on the
1: East Coast. No, nah, I'm fine. I mean, I don't know uh, how long your normal podcast run or how much material you need, but uh, yeah, we can certainly. Uh, uh, well, if we got the time, let's get to the important questions, Rudolph. Where does that come from? <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he, you know, St. Nicholas or, or Santa Claus in the um, early 1800s is described as, you know, traveling by sleigh. Uh, and then, you know, gets reindeer to, to pull it. Um, and, uh that's just sort of part of the, the mythology there. And then in the, again, I think it's the 1930s, um, in the Montgomery ward company, um, commissions, uh, a, just a booklet to be, be, be produced, uh, as a handout, as a giveaway to children in its store. And, you know, they come up with this idea of, uh, Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer. And then, um, you know, it gets, um, it gets sung, um, and turned into like this, you know, just fabulous little ditty. And then, of course, it gets turned into a, a you know, a, a television show, a kid's television show. Um, but it, it is interesting. Again, it's another connection to commercialism. Uh, because, you know, here is, um, it's originally produced for, um, you know, for a, a commercial store, you know, just as a giveaway, just as a kind of a, an incentive to come visit the store. And, and so, again, I think the modern Santa Claus, if you look very deeply, it, it every point is connected to commerce in some way or, or another, which I don't know how that makes you feel. If, it, if that's a sickening idea or if it's uh, I'm comforting. I'm totally guilty,
2: but I feel dirty about it. How about that?
1: It's, it's a little dirty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, My pocketbook's a little sick. I seem to get yeah. an infection every year. My money disappears.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, So yeah. Is Robert May is the name of the um, the artist who uh, originally creates this story, and it was just a lyrical story. Uh, and then again, he he uh, gets it turned into a song, and you know, sells millions, and gets turned into a TV show, and, and now we watch it every year, right? So uh, yes.
2: So we Bible is in the name of this podcast, and it's more metaphorical or figurative in that we we have a faith, but. Let's talk a little Bible. What is the the birth narratives like? What's what's something that pops out to you? What's what's the most ridiculous modern tradition we have that most people would think comes from the Bible that is not? Give us a couple. I know there's multiple. Oh wow!
1: Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I do like that question. It comes think we think it comes from the Bible, but it doesn't. Um, well, I, you know, I think celebrating Christmas period, celebrating the birth <laughs> of Jesus period. That's it is certainly an event told in the Bible, but nowhere do you see Christians celebrating it or, or remembering it. Now, certainly, uh, the remembrance of Christ's death at, at the Lord's Supper. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a biblical celebration, but, um, you know, you don't have any, any celebrations of the birth of Jesus in the Bible itself. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's the question of, uh, I think the biblical idea is that, um, you know, he was born in a manger, you know, in a, um, in some kind of like a little trough for an animal, um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of the earliest sources uh, then identified a cave in which there was just sort of a little niche in the cave, uh, which is, again, today in Bethlehem, you can go and visit the Church of the Nativity. And, and again, what you'll find there is a cave uh, with a niche that is identified as the manger, quote unquote. You know, in our minds, the manger is this wooden box uh, that baby Jesus is laid in but it, it may very well have been a, a niche uh, a little carve out in inside of a cave and that was the manger yeah hmm. um yeah other things that uh, uh, yeah I'd have to think about that um, you know I mean that
3: I mean, can't that word sorry the trying to find a quiet spot here that word manger it could be it could be the feeding trough or it could be describing the whole stable like yeah. that, I think that word has a, has
1: a range of,
3: uh, meaning.
1: Right. Right. Um, you know, and the other thing is that, um, you know, we, we imagine, we envision, uh, no room for him in the end. That Bethlehem was this bustling town with lots of holiday inns and motel sixes and whatever. Um, And that certainly would not have been the case. You know, whatever is meant by the word in there is certainly much more modest than than anything we could possibly envision in our own minds. Um, And that also kind of gives, you know, some perspective to um, the massacre of the innocents. Uh, You know, again, thinking about like things that uh, we think are biblical, but maybe not. I think when we hear about Herod slaughtering the innocents there, you know, in our own mind, we envision, you know, thousands of children, you know, body parts in the street, blood running down the gutter, you know, and this kind of thing. Um, you know, but uh, we have some different projections about, you know, the size of Bethlehem at that time. Uh, you know, it's certainly, um, you know, it was a very small town. And, you know, the estimates are that at any given time there in Bethlehem, there would have been maybe uh, five to 10, maybe at most 15 children under the age of two. Um, so, you know, it very well could have been that you know, the slaughter of the innocents was three children mm. uh, who died. Now, that doesn't make it any less horrific. I mean, a death of any child is horrific, of course, but it, it certainly was not hundreds of children being butchered. Uh, it wasn't even dozens of children. You know, It's probably less than 10. Um, so, you know, which yeah, obviously that does not make for good Hollywood production, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you need streets of blood we need if you're going to put it in uh, Hollywood. But, uh, you know, nobody wants to see, you know, three kids get butchered. Um, hopefully, nobody wants to see any kids get butchered. Maybe I should add that. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully.
2: Yeah. The. The Magi, the Magi is something that is another yeah. one.
1: Yeah, we we assume there were three. We're never given the the number, uh, but there are three gifts: uh, right. the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we imply from that there there were three. Um, and and we are told that they came from the east, but you know we have no more description. But you know it uh, in the Christmas pageants, of course, you have to. You have to decorate these guys out, really, really dress them up. Um, and, of course, later tradition gives them names, uh, Gaspar, Melchior, and uh, Balthazar. Um, but, again, those names are never given in Scripture. Um, you know, sometimes they're depicted as you know, three different races or, or ethnicities, or sometimes they're depicted as young, middle-aged, and old. You know, so the idea would be that they represent all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but yeah the, you know that's another really good one you know we you know who were these cats and uh, how many of them were there and and again it, in our minds we have um the three wise men showing up at the manger uh there in bethlehem and again that's you know that's not indicated in scripture um and you know so uh and we have the the star kind of you think about the Christmas card with the star hanging right over this wooden shed manger, and um, you know the the shepherds and the wise men all there together, and you know this is just sort of an imaginative reproduction, um, but you know it does not seem to match um, Scripture itself. So yeah, yeah, now we start to think about it. Yeah, there's a bunch of things like that yeah. that we we just sort of build into the story with our imagination
2: uh, yeah, that aren't actually there. Even like the the. Magi being basically astrologers and God them God incorporating them into the story people mm-hmm. that you wouldn 't necessarily think belong when you think about maybe their background or where they came from
1: yeah I mean uh, theologically uh, you know I love that they are there and that's what um, you know people uh, pastors and theologians over the years have have pointed out that the magi are there to remind us that uh, Christ is for the Gentiles, for the the non-Jews. Uh, so yes, he's he certainly has come to save Israel and the people of Israel. But even those beyond the folds of Israel have heard of this, and 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 it's important to them. And um, and then he's come for that that point of salvation. So yeah, I do love that that additional um, you know perspective of the Magi being there uh, and yeah we have you know lots of documents about you know magi of this sort astrologers of this sort from the east from Persia, and kind of how they behaved and who they were and um yeah some of our um conceptions about them are are correct that they were astrologers and they were interested in um kind of divining the stars and connecting those to um important events uh, so lots of kings. Uh, And and rulers and important people have stars that appear when they are born. Uh, It's definitely not unique to Jesus.
2: What do you think about um, man so tempting to open up huge cans of worms. Um, (laughs) The virgin birth is just mentioned by one in one of the Gospels. Is that correct? Um... I have to think about that. I'm not trapping you. Yeah, <laughs> I don't actually know. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking, like, because um, I know people being born of virgins was is not limited to just that biblical story. D- is there something else going on in the author of that gospel, or like, is like to what degree do we weigh needing to think it was a literal thing, or is there something? Deeper and more metaphorical behind the use of virgin birth.
1: I, uh, you know, you, you you raise a good point. It's, um, you know, what what is certainly happening here. Uh, if we only had Mark's gospel or the gospel of John, you know, we would never hear of this virgin birth. Um, you know, I guess I have I have heard, you know, some people say, uh, well, you know, that term could just mean that she's. A young girl it doesn't necessarily mean she was a virgin and this sort of thing. Um, you know, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think virgin is the correct translation there. Uh, you know that the, the there's nothing miraculous about a young girl getting pregnant. <laughs> you know, but uh, but there is something miraculous about a virgin getting pregnant, and so right. it's it's a miraculous pregnancy. Um, you know, and I guess I would almost just say at that point, well, you know that that sort of goes to you know who do you think Jesus is, and and, and uh, what do you think is actually happening here? I mean, if if it's a game breaker to say uh, well, I just can't believe in the virgin birth, I can't believe that this a girl would have gotten pregnant without without the help of a male, um, and I'd say, well, you know, there's probably gonna, you're probably gonna have trouble with a lot of stuff. You know, this is the realm of faith at this point, uh, but really the whole belief in Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord, I mean, yeah, we're entering into the realm of faith that absolutely can be doubted by people. I mean, that's what makes it faith. So I do think you can't really get around in some kind of uh, fancy interpretation or translation of scripture that this—that what is happening here is virgin birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, I can respect people who would say, I just can't believe that, but yeah, I, just in the same way, I can respect people who say, I just can't believe that a God exists. I mean, yeah. sure, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is why it's faith. It, it takes some degree of, of belief. Um, you know, for me, it goes to, again, who, who is this person? He's, he's not just someone chosen by God at his baptism to be God's representative in the way that the Old Testament prophets were, were chosen by God. Uh, and appointed and anointed and maybe even empowered to do a task. No, this is someone different. This is this is God's very person among us, um, in uh, fully human and fully divine. So it's uh, this is the the Holy Spirit in Mary, but also Mary, and so he 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 is he's both, um, not fifty fifty, but a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, fully divine, fully human. That's the confession of the church, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of just say, like, this is this is one of the big sticking points for us. Uh, another big sticking point is the resurrection. I mean, I can I appreciate people saying, eh, you know, I can't believe if he really came back from the grave bodily. Wasn't that maybe more of a, a spiritual or mystical resurrection in our hearts? I mean, yeah, I guess you could say that. But, I, you know, that that goes against really the the spirit of Christianity and and the gospel and the whole kind of point of the religion, right?
2: Right, and Paul Paul. saying that if if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then what
1: are we doing here? Yeah, what are we doing here, here? right? So I would say a similar kind of thing with the virgin birth. Like, you know, if it didn't happen that way, okay, fair enough, but probably everything else we've been doing is in vain too. So, you know, we should probably rethink everything at this point. Interesting, Um, yeah.
2: Scott, how are you doing? You know, I don't know if...
3: I keep I I keep getting a poor connection, so um, I don't know how well you can hear me. But yeah, there a car going by, two cars going by. Wow, in an alley. Um, But yeah, there's there's another part. I just looked it up uh, real quick, but uh, it's uh, where he says that it says that uh, they did not. They did not, before they came together, Mary was found with child. So it goes beyond just that one, you know, that word virgin. Um, But yeah, like you're saying, I mean, at at some point you start, if you start kind of discounting or not wanting to believe some of these stories, the faith kind of um, just kind of just, kind of fades away like where what do we actually believe about God and his miracles and if he's if he's not doing these miracles why do we think that a miracle can be done in our lives if the resurrection can't happen why do we think that that we can have new life or that we can have eternal life um so so, I mean there's a a lot going there and Zach I I, I don't know what you meant by it when you said uh, we have Bible in the in our title, but uh, it's kind of more metaphorical. I have no idea what you meant by that. <laughs> I didn't explain. Uh, I, I certainly don't think that it's metaphorical. <laughs> no, I, I think
2: what I meant what I meant is we we speak directly about the Bible less than you would think with it in our title.
1: <laughs> well, you know, as a theologian I could... I, can... I, I definitely need that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, as a theologian, I can resonate with that. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot of theology sometimes without uh, direct reference to the Bible. Yeah. It's probably shame on us. You know, I I, I, um, I will say, I mean, this is maybe where, again, I, I do reveal my Protestantism in that— um, Is there a
2: blend of yeah, Protestantism, Protestantism that you are?
1: Because that's uh, kind of well, a I was, broad term. You know, I kind of— identify with the more moderate uh, Baptist variety which, which do take the Bible you know, pretty seriously mm-hmm. and uh, you know this is where you know for me the virgin birth is something that's there in Scripture. It is miraculous, uh, but it's also a, a core of our faith uh, but I don't go uh, as far as uh, my Roman Catholic brethren who would say not only was did Mary conceive as a virgin, but then in addition to that, they argue that she remained a virgin throughout her life. Um, and again, they point to some of those same passages that Scott just mentioned. Uh, you know, before they came together, um, she was found to be with child. And what they would say is the before they came together implies they never came together. Before as in they never came together. Um and so, you know, I, I don't see that in right. as perpetual, the perpetual virgin, right? Yeah, so that Mary's uh, virginity is perpetual. It's, it's throughout her life. Um, and so the, where you see in Scripture that Jesus has brothers and sisters uh, and some by name, uh, they would interpret those as cousins um, of his and not, um, not blood. Mm. Brothers and sisters, uh, as other children of Mary, um, and so James would not be the half brother of Jesus, uh, but the cousin of Jesus, mm. in that sense, or um, maybe a son through Joseph from a former marriage, um, but not through Mary. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a theological reason to hold on to the, the idea of perpetual virginity. But I don't see that in Scripture. So, you know, again, where I say I, I, there's a theological reason to hold on to the virgin birth, but more than that, I think it's just there in Scripture. I think it's just it's just that is what's happening. Um, on the other hand, I, I don't have a theological reason, but also I just don't see it in Scripture that Mary um, remained a virgin throughout her life. But again, that's a, that is a dogma. And that's a doctrine that is core to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, that she gave birth as a virgin and it remained a virgin. I think they use it as, uh, to say that she remained sinless.
3: Uh, I think there's a, an aspect of that to it as well.
0: Oh, we may have, we may need to hear that again. Come again, Scott.
4: Uh, well,
3: I think they use it to, to to say that she she was sinless and and so her being a, remaining a virgin kept that sinless streak going.
1: Right. Um, Yeah. Mary's sinlessness is also kind of attached um, to all those ideas uh, of her virginity. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, uh, um, they don't directly equate uh, having sex with sin, but there's definitely a linkage there that that in a sense her virginity is part of her purity. Uh, And so, yeah. You know, you do see even, again, to in, in today in some Roman Catholic circles that virginity uh, is connected with purity. And so the idea that, you know, being a virgin has some kind of spiritual or moral merit. know, um, again, I, I don't see that um, certainly in Mary. Uh, you know, and then Paul certainly speaks about people who have... Um, committed to be a virgin in order to serve the Lord. And 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 the idea there is that they have kind of separated themselves from raising a family and getting a mortgage and making a living. You know, they they want to be available to the Lord uh, to be used. Um, But I I don't see him saying that, you know, that adds to their uh, spirituality or their moral righteousness or anything like that. Uh, and Paul certainly values both marriage and virginity. Um, so, you know, there's a really fine line to be walked there. And a lot of times in church history, it's not been walked very well at all. Right. <laughs> so you, know, you definitely find your atheist friends who will say, you know, don't Christians, aren't Christians against sex? And don't they, you know, think that sex is sin or whatever? And um, yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, we, we have, a, we have a, a mixed track record on that point.
2: <laughs> yeah. So how come... The Catholic Church should Saint get, apply sainthood to Joseph. If Mary was a perpetual virgin and he stuck it out with her, that's. I mean, that's. Most people have needs. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they, that's part of his credit that um, yeah. it was. They would say it was a true marriage, but a, an unconsummated marriage. And so that um, Joseph, you know, in, in Matthew, the angel appears to Joseph as well. And so Joseph has a role to play in this. And so in some sense, he also kind of takes that vow of chastity and walks that path with Mary and denies his own uh, needs and urges, if you will. And, and so, yeah, he's he's, a, he's kind of a saint for those reasons as well and raises the, the child Jesus as his own. So,
2: yeah. Is he, if I haven't heard it before, is he like an official saint according to the Catholic Church?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um oh, okay. All, all the biblical characters um, sort of are, uh, are biblical saints. I mean, they're just called biblical saints. Um, so, you know, Mary's a saint, and Joseph is a saint, and, you know, Paul is a saint. Um, yeah. So they, they're just considered biblical saints.
0: That's where we get all of our Catholic schools here in America. Yeah. St. Joseph's. Yeah. <laughs> St. Mary's.
2: Oh, I guess I have St. <laughs> <Yeah. Saint>
0: Joseph's. <laughs> right. mm
1: well, to tie back into um, St. Nicholas, um, the, the most popular uh, dedication of a church is to Mary. You know, Think about all the Notre Dames and St. Mary's and Blessed Mothers and so on and so forth. Uh, but after Mary, um, the next most popular church name is Nicholas, actually, in the world. So he's, he comes in a close second behind Mary, or not really close second, but a, a definite second behind Mary. Um, so, you know, if you find any any kind of, especially uh, Russian Orthodox or Orthodox church, it'll definitely be named St. Nicholas. Um, and and they're, they're definitely across the world more St. Nicholas churches than anybody else other than Mary.
2: You're probably going to hear an eye roll from. Jeff and Scott at this point, but me having sort of a, what you might call it, a faith deconstruction and reconstruction over the last several years. One of the things that struck me, I I read an article by, by I don't remember who, a couple years ago, talking about the Christmas story and how what's absent from the birth narratives or the Christmas story is any hint of God's anger towards humanity. And I don't want to like debate or... Or, like another can of worms, sorry, I'm sorry, Scott, mostly, but uh that that was like kind of a light bulb moment for me. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, how when it's depicted that what what God is doing in the birth of Christ is not some of the more angry God that we can kind of see in other parts of the scripture. I don't know if that makes sense or if you have any thoughts about that.
1: Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I do like that observation that, um, you know, that there is just joy in the birth narrative. I mean, maybe that's one thing that has drawn me to Christmas as a theological point, is that uh, it's, it's an event surrounded by joy uh, more than any other emotion or uh, theological motif. Um, so yes the you know the crucifixion is is maybe the center of our salvation and it's terribly in, important of course but you know it's also a very just bloody gruesome <laughs> tragic moment uh, that's just not there at the at the birth I mean it's uh, you know it's it's a birthday and uh, it's a celebration and it's an announcement it's it truly is good news you know gospel at, at that moment so uh, you know I think the other, you know the, the other points. We just they are just as real, and of course that's life. Life is not always uh, birthdays and good announcements. It's also the reality of pain and suffering and death. Um, and so you know what I love about the Bible and of course the gospel is it is holistic. It's it's rounded. It's not all uh, good news. It's not all bad news. It's you know it's human life, which is always a mix of these these things. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't. I um, you know, you're, you're right, I guess, in the sense that there's not um, maybe a direct encounter with, with sin or, or Satan or something like that in, uh, you know, in the birth narratives. Other than, you know, very quickly after that um, is um, Herod's, you know, killing of the innocents. And um, so, you know, and then, of course, the family escapes almost immediately to Egypt for fear of, of death. And so you know, there's also kind of this grit of reality that that comes with that happy story. Um, hmm. But yeah, that's a, that's a good thought. I'll have to think more about that one.
2: Yeah, I I have been. Sorry. I, I mean, I I didn't really, it wasn't super planned out, or I just was curious. So those all those thoughts make sense, and I'm not even sure. I don't have a conclusion about that necessarily. It's just. Something yeah. that never dawned on me. I I grew up in the church and just never really thought about it that way until I saw this author bring it up. So it was interesting.
1: Well, I think that's why it's important, especially for again, I keep kind of going back to maybe us Protestants or whatever. Um, you know, I think it's important for us, whoever we are, I'll say it that way, as Christians, to embrace the full church calendar, the full Christian year. Um, I mean, if all your church ever celebrates is just Easter or just Christmas, you know, it's an unbalanced or an imbalanced gospel, an imbalanced year. I mean, I think mm. what's important about the Christian year is that we go through all the phases and stages of Jesus's life, of the gospel story, of the church. You know, we need all those things. I mean, we we need Christmas, but we also need Easter you know, but we also need Pentecost and you know, all these things have to go together. You can't choose one or the other. Um you have to choose them both and and, and together. Um
2: <laughs> Scott Scott, don't don't put the microphone in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think it's coming fast uh, uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you don't want to hear it goes, goes next I guess um, the, uh, and Jesus um all the all the feasts all the the Jewish feasts Jesus fulfilling those and how important my, and my pastor is is good about that um pointing out the feasts and um um all those so it's it's cool how um, yeah, you know, like you said, just not not just doing one or the other, or even even just doing both, but because there 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 are more more celebrations to to commemorate Jesus and everything that he uh, he did and fulfilled and in, in bringing about uh, uh, prophecy, fulfilling prophecy that God had promised for us. I think that's, that's very cool. It should strengthen our faith.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: What's next for you? And besides the book, which is the Saint Who Would Be Santa Claus: The True Life and Trials of Nicholas of Myra, what's next for
1: you? Well, you know, um, after that book, I really, you know, as you can tell, I kind of, I really got into Christmas, and then the the later stories about Santa Claus and and all of these sorts of things. So I, um, you know, last year I had a book called Christmas Theological Anticipations come out. And um, with uh, Cascade as, as the press. And, um, you know, I think as I go further, I really want to, you know, find ways to, you can really embrace um, the history, the biblical narrative, and the popular celebrations of Christmas. I just think Christmas gives us such a, a unique opportunity uh, to model. Okay, how are, how can we be biblical, faithful, and also um, human in these in these just practical ways, and and have fun with it, uh, enjoy family, enjoy each other, enjoy the season, you know, and yet also have this deeper richness and 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 wellspring of understanding, and so you know, what I mean, that's kind of where I'm I'm at at this point is really trying to. Figure out ways to connect all these dots together.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah,
0: thank you, Adam.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot. Very interesting. Merry awesome,
0: Christmas. Please Merry do. I'd Christmas. Love
1: to, I'll definitely um, promote it with all of my social media people and, you know, accounts and whatever, That's and, awesome. um, you know, get the word out about the podcast. Do you
2: have a Twitter or anything like that that I should put on there?
1: Uh, no, 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 I, I don't. I, I, I kind of stopped doing that a while back. Yeah. Um, but, um, Can't say I blame you, you. I know. I, I need to get back on it. Um, uh, you know, since it's, since Twitter has been made great again, like everything else, I need to. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: That was the core nice, of the
0: night.
2: Sorry. All right. We'll, we'll t- see you guys. All right. Talk Thanks to you out. soon. Good night. So with us?
4: low though
2: so yeah it was good stuff what else did you think Scott
3: um, well when you asked that question I don't, I don't think you understood the question so um, I'll give him a pass on that um, but, uh, yeah, it was just it was place, but, uh, I mean, this guy, St. Nick, is a contemporary of Constantine. That's, is it, is it possible
2: for you to step into an alley for a second? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think, Jeff?
0: I learned something tonight. I did not know some of the facts about St. Nicholas. And I'm glad that we had the conversation. I think it will enlighten people a little bit. It certainly put some knowledge to some unknowns that I had. So I I like that. And I do see, as he was talking about St. Nicholas and the history of the man, how that's been put into our stories of Santa Claus is very i mean it, as he was saying it's almost like just their little bits and pieces and they just kind of made them more than you know what they were to you know fit this you know present giving um person who comes around to the houses and gives to the kids but i'm like but wait a second that was St right. Nick in some in some way how can we
2: make more money <laughs> i mean <laughs>
0: I love the Montgomery Ward. I used to look through a Montgomery Ward catalog when I was like six, seven years old looking for the... Montgomery Ward does not exist anymore, does it? No. And
2: there's like the Sears catalog. Sears still exists, but...
0: Montgomery Ward, Sears...
2: the shell of its former self. Those are my two big... Not for
4: long. (laughs) Yeah, Sears is struggling. Sears
0: Holdings is having difficulties.
4: And there's... But there's a way...
3: I guess in a sense that without the commercial commercialization that uh you know, these things might not be as popular as they are. And you know, Certainly. not to say that commercialization is bad or good or whatever, just saying it has played a role in, in popularizing it and it's up to the church. It's up to us to to uh, rightly define it for our children. Well, for y'all's children. My future well, you know. We'll talk about that
0: later, and I think I would disagree <laughs> I would disagree with with you, Zach, on the you know telling your kids about it i think I like the idea of there's this you know, hey, the presents came, and if someday one of my kids really finds out, then I get that opportunity to explain, well, this is why we always did it. It was Saint Nicholas, and here's the story behind it. he would without anybody knowing would drop off gifts. And so I'll take it in the back end where you, you, you know, got it in the front end of like when they're nine or ten ten years old. I'm not mature enough. How dare you?
2: I am not mature enough for you to say I'll take it in the back end in front of me.
0: I'll take this story at the back end of my kids finding out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to stop right there. I'm
2: 12. Yeah, Scott, I think you're alluding to my question about the we just lost Scott from the Skype feed. But I think Scott, when he was in the bar and he was um, at the end of the interview, is Adam may have misunderstood. I was coming from the fact that a lot of Christians, myself included, until fairly recently, believe that God is so angry at sin, he needed to take it out on his a substitute that's fine, take it out on a substitute in order to forgive us. And I was struck how that was nowhere in the birth narratives of Christ. It's all good news. It's all joy. It's all about Christ coming for humanity, which it sounded like Adam hadn't thought of that really before. And one of those things like if you if the Bible is something that we're well yeah it's that's not there, but it's in other places, so we all we kind of have to marry everything together, which I get why Christians do that um then you you won't really read into it too much, but if but I'm just not in that space anymore, so it's meaningful to me that the birth narrative doesn't include angry God, and Scott's not here because Scott would have a whole lot to say right now. So I'm giving you credit, Scott, but you don't get a chance. We'll have to do it later over a beer or four. Jeff, Mm -hmm. here's a pastor that's ruining Christmas for kids.
4: He's in North Pole, Alaska. Hi folks, hi kids, my name is Pastor David. I wanted to tell you guys that the real reason for the season for Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus Christ was born 2017 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem in Israel and that Christmas is really all about Jesus. And I wanted to tell you kids today too that Santa Claus does not exist. Santa Claus is not real. The man you're gonna meet today is a man wearing a suit, like a costume, and it's make-believe, it's not real. But Jesus is the real reason for the season. Jesus was born as a light into a world of darkness so that men could be born again in Christ because he died on the cross and rose from the dead so they could be saved. That's the real reason for the season. But what you're going to see today is a man just dressed in a suit. He's not real. It's just fake. Your parents have been telling you a story that is not true. There are no reindeer, flying reindeers. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, yes ma'am
3: uh we understand that you have your beliefs but everybody else has their beliefs as well if you would not interfere with our other customers we really
4: appreciate well, i'm not interfering i'm just telling them the truth and then i'll leave i'll yeah. be done in about a minute no sir
2: she said leave so go no sir. And, there, and, that, she said leave, and that and that she said go.
4: jesus christ is the reason for the season and santa claus isn't real he's just a fictitious of people's imagination nobody and it's not real and there are no, as a matter of fact, your parents buy all the gifts and they put them under the tree. And, uh, and so I'd ask you parents too to please not lie to your children. Please tell your children the truth about Jesus at Christmas and not make Christmas a festival of gluttony and greed. And it's just all about what I can get, gimme, gimme, gimme. But it's about the, God, the gift that God gave to the world. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And that is the original Christmas gift. Tell your children about that, and then you'll be telling them something good. That's why we have people going around trying to kill each other on Black Friday is because people don't have God in their hearts. Yeah, he's got a you'll point have there. Have a good day. God bless you all. Tell your children the truth. Why don't you
3: just leave and let us enjoy our holiday. Okay, I'm done. I'm leaving. Whatever you want to do. I'm done. Thank
0: you, sir. I'm leaving. Bye.
4: Y'all have a nice day.
0: Oh. Uh, I, I got a comment on this. So there's someone who doesn't have.
2: He doesn't hear the Christmas bell, Jeff. <laughs> he
0: doesn't have a. Th- so if if he had the knowledge of of what Adam spoke about, kind of there's been this melding together of Saint Nicholas and how Santa Claus kind of gets created, but really as a representation in some way of saint nicholas of the generosity and gift giving and stuff yes the jesus birth um is is the reason for the season but within that season there's all the there's also this idea of gift giving and why can't it just all be one and still we know yes jesus jesus (laughs) You know, was was born and came, and we celebrate that birth. Can we not have Santa as well?
2: We can. We can have Santa Yes. Sinter S-
0: S- Santa Claus. Santa uh, German Santa Ch- He's from Germany. He's bringing presents mm. for all of the children. Oh. I mean, that's okay. That's okay.
2: Well, German Santa Claus. I'm
0: I'm completely against that guy going in there, and and doing
2: that. It's worthy of a bless your heart award, which is something I've bounced around with for this podcast. Is applying uh giving someone a bless your heart award at the end of every episode, uh, and I think he gets it. I don't think it was his place. But Are you okay with that? God bless his heart. Bless your heart. It means he meant well. He had he was touching on some interesting consumeristic over consumeristic issues. I just want to get his name. Pastor David Grisham Jr. Bless your heart.
3: Feedback. Feedback.
0: i assuming he has a uh, congregation of 73. Oh, my goodness. Jimmy Passini at JJ Pacini PTA. I'm not sure, but at Bros Bible Beer may have been talking about me on their most recent episode. I better be careful what I say. Hashtag say no to drugs. Hashtag smoking and homeless. <clears throat> reference to our own Scott Scooter Hulbert.
2: So I'm I'm not sure if we read that. I don't I'm confused because I look at this stuff all day. We may have read that before, regardless. Here's another one from Jimmy. Jimmy Pacini.
0: Really? Starting off the episode talking about Scott and my sister. <laughs> That's fantastic. I need to finish up work so I can listen to the rest of the latest Rose Bibles Beer episode. That's fantastic. Wait a second. That was December 12th.
2: And then he also said hashtag pray for Scott. Oh. This is the most recent episode. Okay. Hashtag nice. Entitled hashtag pray for Scott. Take it. At Namway Design, Nathan Miller West, at Bro's Bibles Beer. Scott, the hashtag master deflector. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. However, I will say I tell my wife at least once every six months that I want to move to the South and get some property. I always get a hashtag... Hell no, from her though. <laughs> Love the hashtags. Yeah, Scott might be moving to Nashville. We'll see. But he was gonna do the PCT trail, and now that's not happening. He's not so. going anywhere. I tend to agree. He's and gonna. Invest. If only he were here and not on the North Pole. Yeah,
0: he's gonna invest all his money in Bitcoin, lose it in about two months when the bubble pops, and and he'll be back to wishing.
2: And then Nathan Miller West again at Namway Design on Twitter. Any hashtag, any state that starts with A. T. A T will do. A T?
0: A through T? A and T.
2: Any state that starts with A T will do. But there's with a, a T. Tennessee. Oh. Tahoma. Gotcha. That's Ta- right. Ta- Ta- Tonson. Yeah. yeah. Other states with T. Nebraska. Nebraska, yeah. Tarshish. Hmm. Um, Interesting Any other states? Georgia Tick
0: <laughs> <laughs> East Tickle East Ticklesford Oh, Tess, Virginia Tit. Okay, this is bad <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on This is this is Alright If this was at the beginning My wife would My wife uh, uh, Go, this is why I don't listen I just can't I can't take this childish <sighs> nonsense I can't
2: say I blame her But apparently some people like us
0: uh, Anyways Okay
2: uh, that's it. That's all I'm going to do for now. All right, there's thanks. more. I'm going to save it for later. So, Bros Bibles Beer, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram. Thanks, Scott. BbBPod.com. Thank you, Scott, for checking in from the North Pole. Thank you, Adam English. Thank you, Jeff, for Jeff Pearson,
0: and thank you Zach. all of us here in BB This mm-hmm. is Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas.
0: I can't wait for Santa to bring me my gifts. You say gifts
2: like uh, those animated videos, the short looping <laughs> animated videos. That's right. Santa puts gifts under my tree.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the kids are going to wonder why isn't there anything under the tree. I mean, like, yeah, there's all kinds of gifts on my phone. Here you go. <laughs> Here you go. It's an Just inexpensive. Go. You inexpensive can search them. Christmas. <laughs> I'll open Facebook. Just search for the gifts you want. Find some jumping dogs on trampolines.
2: Hmm. A cat putting a beer in its mouth. <laughs>